Good morning, Northbrook Church. This morning we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2 as we continue through the book of Ruth. Uh, if you do not have a physical copy of God's Word, uh, we have a couple in the back, couple Bibles in the back. Uh, that is our gift to you. Uh, so if you would please open to Ruth chapter 2, it'll also be here on the screen. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, uh, said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves, sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn? Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that, I, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that did, you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epaph uh, e of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. 
So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning. It's great to be with you as we continue on in the book of Ruth. And so obviously, if you missed last week, we were in Ruth 1, a really important part of the story. It doesn't start in chapter 2. It starts in chapter 1. We'll talk about a little of that context. Uh, But I also just want to say it's been really fun because I know uh, Ruth has just been a significant book in many of your lives. And so even as we've started to go through it, I've had more conversations with different people about the book of Ruth. um, And it's really just encouraging uh, to have conversations uh, around the scriptures uh, and around how God has taught you and us uh, through the scriptures. And so I would encourage you to do that. Some of you are even, it's a pretty short book. And so you're reading through it as we uh, go through it. And I would just encourage you to continue to do that. Uh, Read and dwell on God's word in this way uh, and be encouraged by having conversations uh, with one another about all he's doing. Um, So obviously we're doing this for Advent. We're all surely in the throes of Christmas season uh, now. Uh, This this last week was one of those weeks where we just had something every night of the week. Uh, But luckily this next week we only have like one thing or two things. Uh, And so it's a a little bit less, uh, lets up a bit. I'm sure many of you are in the busyness. Uh, I'm curious, I think I did this last year, uh, who has started watching Christmas movies? Like you've already watched at least one Christmas movie. Okay, you can put your hands down. I'm sorry, maybe this is a crowd that I'm not aware of. Who doesn't watch Christmas movies? Anybody? Like, okay, we're all, we're all there. Oh, you've been, yeah, I know you're a little scrooge about the, the Christmas. Uh, I'm just joking. <laughs> he just likes to wait for Thanksgiving to be completely over, which is a thing, you know, that's fine. Um, but... Uh, so Christmas movies, even as we were thinking about Christmas movies, um, the, the reality is Christmas movies obviously preach a sermon. They, they, they are always about uh, making points. They're about transformation, really. Uh, that's what we always see. Like this, that, now we're going to have a little interaction here. What is a Christmas movie that you have already watched this, this year? 12 Days of Christmas. 12 Dates of Christmas. Is that like a Hallmark thing? It's Hallmark. It's all the same. Uh, it's uh, okay. Okay. Uh, what else? The Grinch. Yeah. Elf. Yeah. Santa Claus. Tim Allen. First one's the only good one. What? What? Star. We watched the Star yesterday. Well, Lily did mostly. I knew someone was going to say Die Hard. I don't care about that debate at all. But you can watch it if you want. Uh, Christmas Vacation. Okay. I love Joy's look as Annie says, Christmas vacation. Uh, <laughs> so we've watched, uh, we, we actually well, usually get started a little earlier. We, we uh, started all yesterday and we did so good yesterday. I think we watched three Christmas movies. You can judge me. I'm not upset about it. Uh, but um, I think it will at the star, uh, really only Lily and uh, some friends watched that one. Man, I've already forgot yesterday. Uh, I think I wrote down what we watched. What was the other one we watched? Oh, the Christmas Switch, the new Netflix one with Ed Helms. We watched that one. That was kind of fun. And then Spirited on, that's another questionable one. It's not incredibly family-friendly, but um, with, uh, what's his name? Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell, uh, but it's pretty funny. So we watched that one. Anybody watch that one? Spirited? Yeah, it's pretty funny. So, uh, again, like, and here's what all these Christmas movies are doing. You get a, uh, well, an elf. You get a dad that doesn't want to spend time with his family. And by the end of the movie, he realizes how important his family is. And Home Alone, that's probably my favorite Christmas movie, Home Alone. I always think it's going to get old, and it just never does. You don't like it? 
Okay, that's fine. I'm not hurt. Uh, but uh, you get a kid that doesn't, you know, wants his family to be dead. And then by the end of the movie, he realizes how important uh, his family is. And this is the kind of the theme that we see throughout. There's this transformation. But obviously, if we're honest, it is a, a godless transformation. Like it is a, a transformation based on your own strength. Some of them involve some supernatural elements, which, if anything, to be honest with you, it is a hint towards, oh, we need something outside of ourselves. Like this, we're not going to get this done by ourselves to, to turn into, to be the people that we would even want to be. Uh, like we need help outside of ourselves. But obviously those supernatural elements are, you know, all kinds of uh, different things. But they're about transformation. Um, and, and really what, what all those Christmas movies are about is what Ruth 2 gives us, what, what the book of Ruth gives us. Uh, what the, the actual transformation we would hope to see in our life. The kind of, uh, like last week, we talked about uh, loving out of commitment, not loving based on our circumstances, not loving based on different things like that, but loving just out of the fact that we have committed to love and how that actually frees us. And what we're going to see in Ruth 2 is how that frees us to actually love courageously, that, that, that we can love in a very courageous way, which, again, all of those movies are kind of going for. There's a lack of love, there's a focus on all kinds of other things, and there's a growth of love. And, and what we get in, in this uh, beautiful gospel narrative of Ruth is the, the picture of this kind of courageous love. And, and we'll see that uh, in Ruth, uh, but we'll also, we, we meet Boaz uh, in chapter 2 as well, and we'll see his courageous love. And so we're just going to walk through this again and, and, and consider and think about what this courageous love looks like and, and where it flows from in their lives and obviously in our lives uh, as well. And so you see there in verse 1, uh, verse 1 can be a little misleading as, as the narrative goes, but it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. But I just want to highlight real quick, that's the narrator's, you know, verse. Like, Ruth and Naomi, you know, if you remember chapter one, it ended in tragedy. It started and ended, and it was significantly and incredibly tragic. If, if what happened in Ruth chapter one happened in any of our lives, uh, we would join with one another in weeping and crying out to God and being with one another and sitting with one another. There's not a fixing or a kind of counseling. There is just a tragic tone uh, to Ruth one. Uh, and Ruth 2, it, it, it completely changes the tone, and we'll talk about it in a second, but they're still in that. Ruth and Naomi don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, the narrator has given us a little clue that this Boaz guy is going to be uh, important. Um, and then in verse 2, well, I just want to highlight again, even, uh, well, no, I'll, I'll say this in verse 2. In, in verse 2, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And so I, I think it's important for us to even uh, consider and even think about, we're, we're starting to see kind of, we've seen it already, but we're seeing Ruth's character and the beauty of it continue. Like she's not sitting around, uh, but she is active. She is going. She is uh, moving. Her, her love is uh, moving her uh, to act. She is committed to love Naomi and help her and provide for her. And, and so obviously she submits to Naomi's suggestion. She even asks, hey, is it a good idea for me to go do this? And Naomi says, yes, go, my daughter. Um, and, and even as I, I think it's maybe worth pointing out that 
You know, we don't really get a good picture and a glimpse of Naomi right now, but Naomi's probably of the age where she sh could go and help, and I don't know what else she's got going on, uh, but, but she perhaps is still uh, struggling and still suffering and still thinking of the emptiness in her life, and, and that's uh, overwhelming her. And, and Ruth, again, has committed to love Naomi, and it's not, hey, Naomi, what are you doing? Why don't you come with me? It's, okay, I'm going to go and I'm gonna serve. I've committed to love her, and, and Ruth shows courage uh, in doing this um, because it, it's, a, it's a vulnerable place to put herself in. Um, but then we see in verse three, we see, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Um, uh, obviously, we see the, the author kind of hinting at God's unseen hand, uh, and just that phrase, she happened to, in, in the Hebrew, it's like, it talks about chance, like a couple of times, like she chanced to chance to come upon this field, like it's this uh, unseen leading that has led uh, Ruth to uh, this, this field, um, and so again, we get a little, another little clue of, of what God is up to, but I do, again, I just want to pause here, because you're going to see like the tone of Ruth 2 just changes. It, it, it changes dramatically from Ruth 1. And, and many of you may be even already having the question, like what if my happened to come upon the field hasn't happened? Like what if I'm still in Ruth 1 and I'm still longing for that happening to come upon the field of Boaz and, and whatever that looks like in your life, where there's lack, where there's struggle, where there's suffering, where there's tragedy, uh, and, and you don't feel that turn that we get here uh, in chapter two. Again, I, I want to point out that uh, Ruth is still in that moment. The, the tone of the chapter has changed, but the circumstance of her life have yet to change. Uh, she, she is still in this tragic moment of losing her husband, uh, losing her uh, brother-in-law, uh, losing her father-in-law, 10 years of barrenness and no children. Like she is still in that moment, not knowing and not, she doesn't know the rest of the story, not knowing what God's gonna do, not knowing what he's up to. And so we're, we're, we're still in that moment. And, and so even I wanna free you to still be in that moment and, and consider what um, God might be up to. Um, again, I think even as we think about the tone changing, when we're in that moment, when we're in that, uh, the, the tragic loss of the tragic lack, the, the ongoing struggle that doesn't seem to end, I think one of the things Ruth 2 is going to encourage us to, towards is we are still free to consider what God's up to. Like, like there's a vulnerability there. there there's, a, there's a callousness of our heart that gets in the way of that when we feel that lack. It, it can kind of callous over and we don't want to, but Ruth is going to push us and nudge us to say, hey, still be curious about what God's up to. Still consider what he's doing. Uh, still look and, and, and look to him. Um, and, and I think even, I, I think it's not in the, because um, this is what we do often, is it's we're struggling, maybe suffering immediately happens, and, and this question comes to mind, doesn't it? God, what are you trying to teach me? And it's not a horrible question. It, it's actually, a, it, it's an okay question but we tend to ask it in kind of a horrible way because uh, we ask it in a, I'm going to learn this lesson and then I'm going to move on. Um, and to be honest with you, what we're kind of doing is we're living out of the Christmas movie narrative. 
uh, we're, we're living out of, okay, this is hard, I need to turn in something, and then it'll, it'll be good, as opposed to, oh no, who is God? What is he doing? God, what are you up to? God, help me see you. God, help me get more of you in this. God, help me consider and love and cling to you, even though I'm confused and I'm unsure, and I don't know what you're up to. Help me. Uh, that kind of curiosity about who God is uh, and what he's doing. And then, uh, again, as we think about Ruth, even in the midst of this tragedy, and she has chosen to love, here's one of the, I, I think I have, I'm going to have some main points along the way, we'll see, but one of them is this, is that courageous love acts. It, it acts. It, it, it's not passive. R Ruth is not being passive here. Uh, e even in wait, she's waiting. She doesn't know what the Lord's doing, but in the Christian life, I think sometimes we think of waiting as a passive reality, but biblically, waiting is always active. We're, we're always waiting on God in an active way, uh, not sitting and waiting uh, in a passive way. I think uh, Psalm 127 verses 1 and 2 are like a perfect picture of this. Psalm 127 verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now, I'm going I'm to go on in a second, but listen, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So what's happening here? There's people actually building a house. <laughs> they're, they're not sitting around waiting for a house to get built. They're not like, God, how are you going to build this house? They're actually building a house, but what are they waiting on? They're like, God, if you're not in this, none of this matters. If this isn't about you, if this isn't for you, none of this matters. It's an act of waiting uh, on God. And then obviously, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, what's the watchman doing? He is trying hard to stay awake. He's trying hard to fulfill his role, to do uh, what he needs to do to protect the city. He's not like, oh, God, I'm going to take a nap. You got this. He's like, no, love is active. But he's like, even as I do this, even as I do the hard work of my watch and, and standing in this spot, God, if, if you're not in this, none of it matters. God, even in my activity, I am waiting on you to do what only you can do. I, I think about, I think I've shared this a lot, but one of the things, and, and maybe this is something you can steal from me as you enter into uh, significant conversations one of the things I, I, I'll pray for before a counseling conversation or a significant conversation I'm, I'm about to have with the people that are about to have is, is, God, if you don't show up here, if you don't move, nothing matters. If anything good is going to happen, if anything lasting is going to happen, if anything helpful is going to happen from this moment, it's because you have met us. But then we don't pray that prayer and then just walk away. No, we pray that prayer and we have an ordinary conversation about life and hope that God moves. Um, so again, Christian waiting and, and courageous love is not passive, uh, but it is active. And then I love verse 2 in uh, Psalm 127. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And what the psalmist is, is he's preparing us for activity, but he's also warning us against overactivity. He's warning us against, hey, we're active here. We're building houses. We're being the watchmen. But you don't need to be anxious and overactive here. You get to rest in the Lord. He gives to his beloved sleep. Um, and that's what we see Ruth doing, isn't it? She, she is loving courageously in this active way. She's wondering what God's up to, but she's being active. Uh, and verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So obviously the narrator is up to something here. So the first time we actually meet Boaz, 
the, the first words out of Boaz's mouth are, the Lord be with you. And we've already heard that Boaz is a godly man, and now we see Boaz's godliness. Uh, we see him uh, uh, living out his faith uh, in this way. And, and we can see that this isn't a cliche saying. This isn't just, you know, the, the guy that just is always, no, I'm not going to use that example. That's a bad example. But um, this is Boaz. Like, we're going to see that he follows God in the really significant moments of his life. But we're actually going to see right here that even in the ordinary day-to-day moments of life, he longs to be faithful to God. That in his greeting, the people that are working for him, he longs to be faithful. He's living all of his life as before the face of God. It's not like God's just in these big moments and we need him here, there, but it's in these small moments too where he's longing and desiring to be faithful. And we see that uh, play out uh, in his life. And I think that's important for us to think about in courageous moments because to be honest with you, like, it's just a great example of, you know, if someone you love is uh, about to get hit by a car, about to get shot, there's a good chance in that moment you would jump in front of that bullet or you would push them out of the way and you would sacrifice yourself in that big moment. But, but isn't it in those daily moments, it's almost even harder to do that. That, that. Those daily moments where someone says something to us, that daily moments where we see another flaw show up in someone again that we've struggled with and we have a moment to, to love courageously in that moment. Uh, th- those, those are where courageous love shows up in, in a beautiful, humble, hidden kind of way that, that we have in a day tens or hundreds of times to love courageously. Uh, and, and this is what we see Boaz doing. And then in verse 5, then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, uh, except for a short rest. Again, just Ruth's godly character. She's that Proverbs 31. She's active. She's resourceful. She's working. uh, She's uh, longing for God to provide. And then she's acting as if God's providing. And then she's active in that provision, that she's working and and not being uh, lazy. Uh, but uh, obviously she's, she's willing. And she's not loving in the abstract. She was loving with her actual words and deeds. Naomi, I'm going to go. And then she goes and loves uh, in this way. Um, again, I, she didn't say, sit at home and say, God, where do you want me to go? She, was, she went. And she was confident God would lead her. Um, she could have been wrong. But she was willing to love courageously. Uh, her, her tragic circumstances didn't cause her to turn inward and remain passive. Uh, And and I think it's important for us to realize that her love for Naomi landed her in a field working from morning until evening. And so that's what love, love is particular. Love is courageous. Love lands us in these kinds of places. Um, I I love what uh, Paul Miller said in uh, his book, A Loving Life, as he goes through the book of Ruth. He says this, he says, don't put your energy into ordering what you cannot control. Simply love in the disorder. And he goes on to say, Ruth has to land somewhere in a specific field with a particular landowner. If you are bent on pursuing personal freedom, you remain frozen, hunting for the perfect field, the perfect person, you never land. And so there's this idea that when we're wanting, when when what what we have and what we desire gets in the way of us acting, 
Uh, and, and what Ruth, what we see here is she's not waiting, she's not figuring out, she's active, and her, her, her love lands her to, to love a particular people, a particular, lands her in a particular field. Our love is going to lead us to particular, it's going to lead us to a particular church, it's going to lead us to a particular friend, it's going to lead us to a particular people. We don't love an abstract, we love particularly, we actually love a person. There's no such thing as love that doesn't uh, go out and land on someone. That, that's not, anything short of that is just the thought of love. Um, but actual loving uh, is, is, takes place in the midst of uh, these kinds of relationships. And so what we, that's, this is where courage is needed, right? Because we're afraid things are going to go wrong. Um, I, I, we, me and Ginger were at this uh, church planning conference thing where uh, a buddy of mine uh, taught on fear. And, and he just said, he said this statement that really struck me. He's like, if you just kind of pause and look around in your life, there's a good chance you'll see fear everywhere. And, and you'll see just how much we can be led by fear. And, and courageous love flies in the face of that fear. It's not the absence of that fear. There's a lot of things to be scared of. Sometimes that fear is genuine and, and, and in some sense wise. But then what the, the, the unfaithful response is passivity. Uh, courageous love is, man, I am afraid. I'm not sure how this is going to go. I'm not sure if this is the right decision, uh, but I'm going to courageously step out and trust that God's providence is going to lead me along the way. This is what we see Ruth doing. Again, I think it's helpful for us to get into the story. We, it's a short book. We're all familiar with it. We know how it goes. She did not know how it was going to go, um, and it's helpful for us to feel that because that's our life. We don't know how it's going to go. I, I mentioned in parenting, goodness gracious, there, there's so many decisions that we've made in parenting that I have no idea how it's going to go. There's so much gray. There's so much, I, I can't, no, I think I was somewhere else where I was saying this the other day. I think I've shared this, but like I remember in parenting like our, when our first child was born and we, you know, in the, we were in the hospital and I thought, this is my ignorance in parenting, I was like, oh, when they cry, you'll always know why they cry. Uh, and, uh, and then you'll just do the thing, and then it'll kind of go, you know, get worked out. And it was very short after she was born when we had done all the things and she was still crying, and I realized, oh, this is a thing. Like, there's things where you just don't know what to do, and you have to do something. Um, and whether you're a parent or not, so much of life is like that, uh, where th there's this gray, and you just have to courageously take risk uh, in, in Jesus' name and, and love. And, and, and that's what, again what we see um, Ruth doing. So I'm just going to ask you that. What might, uh, what are areas where you need to love courageously? Wh what might courageous love look like in your life right now? Wh where do you feel frozen? Where do you feel scared? Where do you see fear? And where do you see that fear actually leading you to not make a choice, not step out in faith, not try, not get help, not get counsel, not reach out? Where, where is that? And uh, in, in, in that place, you have an opportunity to take a courageous step of love. So what does that look like for you? Again, that can come in choosing a job and choosing a school and choosing a church and choosing a spouse. Um, you know, I think of even uh, this week, you know, one of the things uh, when, when it, at, at work, uh, one of the things I balance is um, the, the uh, 
the tension of working on the sermon and loving people in that way and then loving people in other ways that are not working on a sermon. And this week is one of those weeks, this is not to lower the bar here, uh, but it just felt right where it was really busy to love people in other ways. Now, I've worked, and this is going to go incredible. Obviously, it's going great already. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, but, it's, but if it, I, there is that moment where choosing to work on a sermon is actually more about myself and less about the people around me because it's I want this to go well. I don't want to look a fool. Um, and obviously I need to work on it, but there's those kinds of moments where we have to make choices and we have to do the best we can in Jesus' name and not be exactly sure which way was the right way uh, to go. And, and so what does that look like in our day-to-day lives? And then I want to invite you into this one other aspect of this as a church. Uh, where might courageous love take us as a church? Like a- as a church family, where might courageous love take us? Um, and and a, a couple of things. I think uh, we, by God's grace, are a church of people that do love like this. And so in the midst of your lives, in the midst of your neighborhoods, in the midst of your families, you're just doing this. So that's not us. Uh, that's the church body doing it without us really organizing that. But then there's opportunities for us to do that. Like even a, an example of that, I think of Randy. He's really good at this. And he, he just loves people really well. He's, he's gifted at that. But even in, in create, like one of the things he does most weeks as he goes and prays for, uh, prays with uh, the Pregnancy Help for You, the ladies there that um, has built a relationship there, and so he goes and, uh, goes and pray. And so what is he doing in that moment? But loving those people that he's praying with, but also loving the women that they're serving. He, he, he has chosen an object of his love, and he's acted on it in his day-to-day week. So what, what that, that we do that throughout uh, you know, uh, our lives in all kinds of different ways. But, but what, what, how might we do that uh, as a church is a question. Um, and so I'm just going to invite you in some of the ways I'm praying about this, because here's, here's what this looks like. As we think about, as a church, how we do that kind of collectively. Like, what organization are we going to support? Where are we going to put our money? Where are we going to encur- encourage people to volunteer? And, and as I think about the object of uh, love, it, it's just that question. Who, as a church, do we want to love? And here's the other thing. We can't love everybody. We, we, we can have an open heart to everyone, but we have limited people, time, and resources, and so we have to make decisions there. And this is one of those areas I can get frozen because I don't want to make the wrong mistake. I, I get really, there's so many different ways that people serve people that are really kind of fruitless and unhelpful. Now, obviously, I don't want to do that, but in my fear of not wanting to do that, I can kind of hem, hem us in as a church and really not do much at all. Uh, and so really, as a church, I just wanted to invite you into this, these prayers. I'm going to show you this prayer card. Uh, this is actually how I've been praying about this, and you can pray in some of these ways as well. And so it just I kind of have North Fort Worth, like, hey, what is, who does God? I made this prayer card a while back before this sermon, obviously. Uh, but it's like, God, who are you calling us to? Who do you want us to care for? And so some of the things I've been praying for, I had contacted local city council. I had a meeting with them. It was fairly helpful but didn't really lead to a whole much, honestly. Um, then I've been praying about, like, God, who do you want us to partner with as a church? What church, what do church partnerships look like? And then I know there's, uh, there's an organization called DASH that, that actually helps house uh, asylum seekers uh, in the area, so I've been praying for them. The, the, the leaders of that actually are the old founder, just lives right down the road here. Um, and then single moms, God, how would you have us serve single moms? And then on the back, I have, uh, I was at a uh, deal where the mayor, Maddie Parker, was speaking, and she was just talking about educational outcomes and how pivotal that can be to have churches involved in that. I don't know what we could or couldn't do. 
uh, Sarah Jameson. Uh, she is connected with Pregnancy Help for You as well, so I've just been praying about her and that organization. Is there ways that could help? Uh, and then I prayed for a team of members uh, to research and help us. Uh, uh, Mandy Sloan came up to me. Uh, oh, let me. And then, yeah, that last question. I thought this the other day. I sure I wrote it down, but I think that's today's day, right? 1210. Did I do that this morning? Yep. Uh, and so, who do, you, who do you want us to love is one of the ways I'm going to start praying. But Mandy Sloan, you know, she's on the budget team, and that was one of the conversations about the budget uh, or along the budget team is what does it look like for us to serve the community around us. And so she talked about just getting together a team to research and consider the different ways that we could get involved and start to serve the people around us. Again, we're doing this in thousands of different ways in our ordinary lives, but as a church, what does it look like for us to come together and steward the resources, time, money, energy that God has given us uh, towards his work in the world, towards, as Boaz does, uh, using his power and influence to love the least of these. Uh, and so I invite you into that, invite you into those prayers, invite you into that tension that I feel as I think about organizations to help with and organizations not to help with and, and how to do that well, how to love wisely. I do want to do that, but I think even the desire to love wisely ha has inhibited my uh, willingness just to take risk here. And so pray for us uh, in that way. I just wanted to invite you into that because that's what we see here in this, uh, in this book. And so, and now we go on to see um, Boaz show compassion uh, to Ruth uh, and uh, to Naomi through Ruth. Look at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? But you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. I mean, you just see the lack of entitlement there. The lack of, oh, I deserve this. What I, well, you know what I've been through. It's, you know, when you're loving courageously and you're open to looking, you're blown away by people's kindness and grace towards you. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And then at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here. And eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. And so we just get a beautiful picture. And we're actually, we're not going to cover all of chapter two. So if you're like trying to time out the sermon and think, oh, no, uh, we're, we're, we're going to be closer to done. I'm not promising much. Uh, but, uh, um, but we see the, the beauty of Boaz's character here and, and his love and how he uses his power to, to care for the least of these. And obviously, God has actually commanded him to do that very thing. And uh, Deuteronomy 24, 19 says clearly, when you reap your harvest in your field and, and forget 
a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. And, and one of the things I think it's good to highlight, the, the narrator, uh, we may not catch this, is trying to in- communicate so clearly how at the bottom of the rung Ruth is. Like even just how often it men- mentions that she's from Moab is, is a clue to tell us that she is not a servant. She's not, she's not, she's not even, she's like the lowest of low. There's like 10 or 15 ranks above her and she, there's not a rank below her. She's the lowest rank of anybody in uh, Bethlehem at this time. And, and Boaz is looking to that lowest person and, and providing for her. But he doesn't even just follow, he follows the, he goes beyond the letter of the law. Because God writes that law, so it happens. But, but obviously God writes that law because he cares for the sojourner. And Boaz says, that's my heart. I want to care. I'm, I'm going to do more and abundant and over uh, what the law requires. And I'm actually going to do what God's heart is. And, and I'm going to provide uh, for Ruth. And, and I think this is uh, not, uh, we, we, we could um, take this in all kinds of different ways or just think when we read it, oh, this was an easy thing for Boaz to do. But this obviously cost him personally, cost him financially. And Boaz doesn't, Boaz is not trying to woo Ruth at this point. We even, we'll see that later on. He's not expecting, oh, okay, I think this is going to go somewhere. It's not like he's asking Ruth out on a date in this moment. He's, he's caring for uh, the least of these. Uh, and it comes out at great personal cost. It comes out even, even, who knows how people are, like we know these aren't, all the people working for him are not the most respectable people because he has to tell them, don't touch Ruth. <laughs> you know, you don't, you know, respectable people, you don't have to tell that to. Um, and, and so he, he risks jealousy. He risks, oh, how are they going to, you know, they're going to see me giving and providing for her. How are they going to uh, respond to this? Uh, but but he, doesn't, he doesn't let those things lead him. He, he, again, he could, he could fear there. Oh, if I give too much, God, are you going to provide? God, if I give in this way, what are people going to say? And he could be frozen, but instead he loves courageously. Uh, he, he cares for the least of these with what God has uh, provided for him. Uh, and, and obviously we, we see that it's because Yahweh will care for him. Boaz didn't cling to materialism. He doesn't worry himself with what others might think of him. He's not afraid of fear of man. Why? Because he finds his refuge under the safe wings of Yahweh. Uh, the, the God of Israel is where he gets his strength and where he sees this love and where he can act out of this love. Because Yahweh will care for him, he can take risk and love with great courage. And so the last verse that we'll cover today in verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Again, the narrator is also wanting us to see how hardworking Ruth is. And she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was an epaph of barley, which is, is a significant amount. Uh, it, it's interesting if you think back to Ruth 1, when Naomi walks through the city gates crying about her emptiness. Here we see God beginning to fill her up. Um, and, and courageous love, that's what it does. It, it joins God on his mission. Courage, like we have a God of courageous love, and so when we walk in that, we see Boaz doing that, we see Ruth doing that, and they are God's mission to, for, God, for God to love Naomi through them. And that's what we do. We, we join God on his mission. I, I'm going to close with a, a bit of a, a hard turn because I, I think there's so much to, to learn here in, in just the culture we're in right now. Like Obviously, we live in a culture that's being more and more polarized. And what that means is that the extremes are getting extremer. Uh, and um, uh, and that, that happens 
you know, it's hard to throw out a topic where that hasn't happened. Uh, it's just, it happens, you know, kind of uh, everywhere. Um, and, and then to be honest with you, there can also be like the, like this, the, the extremes are getting extremer and, and there's less of a middle, but there can also be this extreme of always being in the middle. Like, oh, the middle is always the right place to be. And that's a, just another form of extremism, actually. Uh, there's some things we don't want to be in the middle on. Uh, God's very clear about things uh, that we should be clear about. But, but we live in a world uh, uh, that gets polarized. And, and one of the areas that we get polarized is in this idea of being a victim, of victimhood, of victim, uh, just like having a victim kind of identity. And, and so there's the two extremes of uh, grabbing a hold of being a victim is what we're all about, is what we should be about, and we should realize that. And the other extreme is there's actually not very many victims at all, and just completely overlooking all the injustice that actually happens in my life. So the injustice defines me and anybody else around me, or there's actually not much injustice at all, and I don't know why you're talking about it in that way. Or do we are, I just I was watching a uh, do you know who Andrew Tate is? I always have to kind of get a poll. So raise your hand if you know who Andrew Tate is. So uh, half-ish. So Andrew Tate, wow, I was about to say something bad. Uh, Andrew Tate is someone that really needs Jesus uh, very, very deeply. Um, and he, he is a guy that makes a living off of using his power for his own selfish gain uh, in, in horrific ways, like uh, really horrific ways. And that is the picture of our world offers uh, one of the pictures our world offers of what, what about having power and using power for your own selfish gain, like it's actually, he's, he's put out at times as like the model, and, and it's horrific. Uh, and so if you just think of if uh, Boaz was Andrew Tate, well, we wouldn't be reading the story, or we would be reading it in a really different way. Uh, and, and just the difference of using our power to serve those and, and using our, our, our power to, for our own selfish gain. But also, if you think of Ruth, Ruth is someone that if she grabbed a hold of her identity as a victim, we would be like, that makes sense. It makes sense that you feel like a victim and that you act out of that because not that she had done anything wrong or not even necessarily that she'd been sinned against, but her circumstances, that's how we, get that's how we feel like a victim. We've been sinned against by someone greatly, which happens uh, all the time or even just our circumstances. It's not like a clear uh, cause, but our circumstances make us feel like a victim because they've been horrific. We've suffered a loss. We've suffered chronic pain. We've suffered illness or people around us, we, you know. That, so, and then we act out of that. And if Ruth did that, if she grabbed a hold of that identity, we also wouldn't be reading the story uh, because she wouldn't be acting courageously. Uh, and so the book of Ruth, God's word, uh, it, it gives us this uh, ability to, to, to not grab a hold of what our culture would encourage us to do, but actually live out what God has called us to do, which is whenever our circumstances are, to seek to love courageously. But here's the, other, the, the where I want to take us there, is we can say that and have that kind of analysis of our culture, which I think is accurate and biblical, but here's the thing about our culture. Our culture is made up of people. And here's the other thing about those people. We are those people. We are the people that make up our culture. And, and we can have a very clear lens on those realities and miss the many temptations and sins we have in our own life. Like, I vacillate between the temptations Ruth has and the temptations Boaz has. I, I have so many temptations and bite into that temptation of feeling like I'm a victim of my circumstances and there's no hope. And I can live out of that. 
And then I can find myself where I have, in a situation where I have some power and some influence, and I use that power and influence for my own selfish gain. I think it's sometimes even the way we use sarcasm and our quick wit to uh, get a leg up as opposed to serve and care and enjoy and, and build a camaraderie. I'm incredibly guilty of that, Th- that I can use it to try to make myself look good as opposed to whatever else. Uh, and, and so if we want to affect our culture, if we want to change our culture, it's not just to critique and have this right view, but it's actually to change. It's actually to ask God, God, would you, and, and here's the answer. This is what we see in Ruth. The, the only way to be freed up to love courageously is to find ourselves taking refuge in the God of Israel. In, in the triune God of the universe, Father, Son, and Spirit, that we take refuge under his wings. Because anytime we're looking for refuge somewhere else, we're not going to be able to love courageously. But when we have that love, when we have that refuge in him, we're able to love courageously. I'm going to end uh, with this rebuke from Jesus, which I'm sure you were hoping for. Um, Matthew 23, 37. It's, this is his rebuke over Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? Now, here's the deal. This rebuke goes out to us. So there's the ultimate way. Have you come to take your rest in Jesus? Have you come to be hidden under his wings in which he has absorbed, that's what we celebrate during this season, that he came to absorb the wrath of God so ultimately we could be hidden. Hidden from the, the uh, effects and hidden from the uh, consequence that our own sin actually deserves. So come and take refuge in him. But then also to all of us that have taken refuge in him, this is what we do for the rest of our lives. What areas of our life are we refusing this refuge? Or, 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 or is it hard for us to love courageously because we're clinging to something else? Like, oh, I want to I take refuge over here. I want to take refuge in this comfort. I want to take refuge in this pursuit. I want to take refuge in this relationship. When, when Jesus is saying, oh, I would have gathered you under my wings. I'll do that even now. Every rebuke from Jesus is also an invitation. And he's inviting you to come to him and hide in him. And we all have areas of our life right now where we need to do that. What, what is that for you? Let me pray for us and ask him to help us. Lord Jesus, that you are willing to hide us under your wings is grace upon grace. There are those of us in here that are suffering and we need the comfort that your wings provide. There are those of us in here that are tired and we need the rest that your wings provide. There are those of us in here that are suffering from shame and guilt and we need the cleansing that your wings provide. Jesus, you provide all. Spirit, would you just help us not, not to just go searching and uh, kind of uh, figuring out what's wrong with this kind of way, but would you just reveal where we need to find our refuge in Jesus? And, and would, you do, would you bring just the sweetness of that? Even if it's a hard area of our life, would you twinge it with your sweetness and your, le- your, your leading? 
that again, the, the enemy doesn't trick us into even feeling shame that we have that lack, but that we actually trust that you're going to fill us up. And Spirit, I pray for that. There's so many brothers and sisters in this moment, even in great moments, that, that their lack is very felt. And so would you fill us up? Not in a materialistic kind of way, not in a selfish kind of way, but in a more of you kind of way. A, a way that's actually lasting, a way that will actually minister to the depths of our soul. But Spirit, I do want to acknowledge there's that need that's very present. And so we ask you to do what only you can do. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen.